Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. It's just so powerful what can happen when you just take one little step, you know. You just take one little step. And it, it might be a step in your bedroom. You know what I mean? With that person that you're living with or married to or whatever. It might be with that step with your kids. You know, I, I think about it, and it really just kind of fits with where I want to go today. <clears throat> this is really message number seven in this Move Forward series. And I didn't really want to preach today. I didn't really want to do a, a teaching. I kind of just want to have a fireside chat. Y'all good with that? You know, we're, we're all family. This is our church. Some of you are visitors. We welcome you. But if you've said yes to Jesus, you're part of the body of Christ as well at large. And, and I just kind of want to address the mindset of the body of Christ and where we are to be as believers. Because, you know, for six weeks we've come in here and we've talked about hope. Hope is confident expectation. And just being able to, in our daily lives, actually look at the Word of God, lift out a promise that applies to our situation, look at the character of God, and realize He will keep His Word for you. In other words, when He says, I'm a provider or I am a deliverer, He's not picking and choosing who He's going to provide for and deliver. That's up to the heart of the person to receive who He is. God is who He is. You know, it's like the sun shining. If you choose to go inside and stay out of that sunshine, you're not going to receive the benefits of being in the sun. That's God. He is blasting his love and provision and every ounce of his character, every moment of every day. And if you have said yes to him, he's doing it from within you. He's not withholding it. It's up to us to let him transform us. And that's the part that you have to work out. Nobody can teach you how to have that intimate relationship with God. That's the part where you just say, you know what? I trust you, Lord. I don't know how to make all this work, but I trust that you live within me, and then you go and you start finding these promises to shape you and renew your mind and change how you think, which is actual biblical repentance. But I wanted to kind of lift up, lift out what they're pointing out and what Amelia did, you know? I mean, it is so easy to just pray for somebody. It really is, just to show a little bit of love towards somebody. It's what the body of Christ should be known for. The body of Christ should be known for, hey, those bunch of loving people over there, they're Christians. You know, I don't know about that, all those animals on a boat thing and six-day creation. I'm talking the world says this, but they, I see what they do to each other, <clears throat> and it makes an impact. The human soul, the human mind, everything about how we're created is designed to, be, to gravitate toward that. We owe the world to get over ourselves and walk in love toward ourselves, toward God, toward one another. Amen? So we've gone through this series really to help you define what your calling is. And I haven't put as many points on it, you know, periods and, and shaped it up <clears throat> as much as I have in times in years past. I've got an article. I, I thought I was going to transition into a message called Making a Plan, but all throughout the week, I just felt like, you know what, just do, do this. Go today where you're going to go with it. 
I'll probably write an article, post it up on the church blog about making a plan. Because in our life groups and hopefully in your conversations, you've gone through this process of identifying who you love. So just a real quick recap. A lot of times when you plug into a church program and it's designed to help you discover your calling or what God wants you to do or strength finders or whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of based on your performance of what you do really well. <clears throat> so a lot of it's geared toward your natural ability. It's like, all right, you do this really well, so God specially gifted you with that thing, and there's one thing that you do better than anybody else on the planet, and you got to figure out that one thing and then serve God in that one thing. Well, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, I, I, may, I joke about it, but I can think of everything that I can do, and there's somebody that can do it better. You know what I mean? It's not about your performance. You know, you, your purpose is to say yes to Jesus. God created this place to have a family. When you say yes to Jesus and you are adopted into that family, your purpose, the reason you exist, the reason God created this planet is fulfilled. You are complete in him, in spirit. You rest within him. If you die in this moment, you pass into eternity, full 100% interest, nothing has to change about you. See, and so what church is for me is to get you to renew your mind to believe that you are that person, that spiritual person that has been changed fundamentally forever because then that will affect every other aspect of your life. And so we're just always going to go over that. But this series has really kind of been focused on the idea of like we all have this deep down gnawing thing within us that we know we're not doing enough. Right? It's like, I want to do more. I want to make an impact. I want to reach people. I want to do this. I want to do that. So how do you step into that? And I think you do it pretty simply, not by figuring out what you're good at, but define who do you love. You know, as a bit of a recap, Christ commands us to love. Love God, love people, pretty much, right? It would make sense that your calling, in other words, what God wants you to do on this planet is tied to his commandments of you, toward you, right? So your love, your passion determines your calling. So how do you figure that out? You answer the question, who do you love? Who are you called to love? And absolutely, it starts with your child, your spouse, your family. It may spill out into your coworkers, the guy ordering food or the nearby that needs a meal, people struggling with substance abuse, people trapped in slavery, people that need to hear new covenant worship, New Covenant Worship, Adam is recording this month. People that ride motorcycles and, <laughs> amen. People that ride motorcycles, wave y'all's hands over there. She's got her crosses for sale in the bookstore. All those go toward their ministry. People that are in motorcycle, you know. This is not about I'm supposed to be in the ministry. This is about where's your passion? Who do you love? And are you actively taking steps to express the love of God toward those people? It's not about getting them to come to church, getting them to plug into our program, start tithing into these coffers or anything like that. It's like, you know what? The body of Christ is commissioned to walk in love and preach the gospel. Amen? And this is, this is really where I want to go this week is talking about, are we actually really doing that? Now, I might get a little bit more serious than normal today. 
and I hope you feel a little bit challenged, not beat up, but challenged. Are you communicating your faith? Are you sharing the gospel? When you encounter people, do they feel the love of God? Right? Because that's the motivation. You, you communicate compassion and love to this person, however you create that environment, not in an unhealthy way. But then can you communicate the gospel? How do you communicate the gospel? What is it? And see, that's, what, that's the fun part for us. There, and we're all commissioned to do the work of the evangelist. I think there are some people that are called into the office of evangelist to function within a body. So like this, there are some of you that are, God is saying, look, I need you to be an evangelist for this body to help them rise up and, and step out a little bit. But it's not, it's not really about door knocking and soul winning per se. It's about going into the world and communicating the gospel. I mean, honestly, you know, we get lulled into this idea. This is where I think Calvinism gets it wrong. It says that, okay, when God's ready for you to be saved, he'll give you some faith to get saved. Or the extreme version says only some of y'all are going to heaven. The rest of y'all are going to hell, and God decided that a long time ago, so too bad. Hell, 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 heaven, heaven, maybe. <laughs> There's no maybe, there's no, you know what I mean? God ahead of time decided it. That's a doctrine of devils in my opinion. That's gross. Just, you know, in case you're wondering what I thought. <laughs> I could say more, but it, it leaves you in this place of, you know, God's just going to do his thing and we don't have a part to play. No. Go back and look at, again, this is in Luke 9. We looked at this last week. You know, I want you to walk out of here today. If you learn something, you learn something. But to me, it's more about are you challenged in your heart and in your mind? Don't evaluate yourself. Don't walk out of here thinking, golly, I'm a really bad Christian. I don't tell anybody about Jesus. That's not the goal. You know, what I want for you to do is combine all this that we've been talking about for the last several weeks and find that people group of passion that you, your heart burns for and go to them, whether it be your family, whether it be whatever it is, even if it's in this church. If you don't know, then write checks to this church and co-labor with what we're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm serious, you know? It's like, just co-labor, get involved somewhere, serve in the kids' church, do something. And then, and then as you start walking in that direction, Man, I'm telling you, it just opens up more and more and more and more. I'm telling you, if you when you, when you start, you can't stop it. Those of you guys that are out in the field, whether it be what you're doing or with motorcycles, or the, the, you realize that it's like, man, there's so much opportunity out here to communicate. It's overwhelming, right? But we looked at this last week. Again, I'm not trying to. Fo fo I'm not following some. You know, I'm not following some cohesive teaching today. I want to create a mindset within you or just challenge you to when you walk out of here, think, okay, that 10-year-old girl saw that man and had passion for him and wanted to pray for him. I'm going to let that inspire me. Who can I pray for this week? And it's like, don't worry about the results. Don't worry about if their leg grows out. Don't worry about if you get a word about their grandmama. Just, just let love be the motivation.
Amen? And I think about this story here. This story, pull that down for just a second. Let me just set it up. You probably remember from last week. But this is Jesus, right? He has his 12. And for a couple of years, or I forget exactly how long, he's, he's walking and he's modeling to them what he does. He's showing his power. He's teaching them. He's giving them parables. You know, he's displaying before them who he is and how to treat people and how to love people, which is a very interesting study, by the way. If you just go through the Gospels and you watch how Jesus treated people, it's really, it's really interesting. If you don't, you're not trying to figure out doctrine. You just, all right, let me look at the man Jesus. How did he treat people? Let me let that be an example to me. So he's doing that. And then he turns to the 12 and he says, all right, I'm giving you this power. All these things that you've seen me do, now you're going to start doing them. Can you imagine what they might have been thinking? I mean, here they are, uneducated fishermen, and it's like, I'm going to cast out devils. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to raise the dead. Are you kidding me? But they'd seen him do it, and they'd experienced it, so they felt like they could do it, right? So he sends them out, and John, the one that Jesus loved, you know, John self-proclaimed, I'm the one that Jesus loves, laying on Jesus' chest at dinner, you know. I'm making fun of John a little bit. I may, I don't know. He might not be happy with me. I don't know. I'll ask him when I get there, but I'm sure he does. <laughs> but you see the point, right? John, the love man, says this. Let's go back to John 9, 49. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. Now, when you see your name, it's not blah, 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 in Jesus' name as if in Jesus' name is some magic formula that makes something happen. This is a reference to his authority, who he is. And when it says that you in my name will cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead and all that kind of stuff, it's in his authority you do it. Because he has the authority, you share that authority. Amen? So we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he is not one of us. You ever been told to stop because you weren't one of them? Welcome to the club. They did the very, from the very beginning, that elitist, separatist mindset was in the Jesus followers. And watch Jesus' response. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Pretty much wide open. You know, it's kind of funny. Because, uh, you know, I'll have old friends distance themselves because all I talk about is that Jesus stuff, you know, or old friend got saved, avoids you in public. You see him across the restaurant and you turn and you think, I'm going to go talk to him. You go back and they're gone. <laughs> it's happened. Then they start telling other people to stay away. It's like, you know what? Could you just ease up a little bit? If they're not against you, they're for you. The body of Christ is wide and diverse. If we could learn to work with one another, <clears throat> we might actually fulfill the Great Commission. Our love for one another. I mean, you know, I've not, I've not yet seen the world look at the group that says they've got it all figured out and everybody else is probably going to hell. They're not sure, but probably. You ever known some Christians like that? Yeah, it's not like the world says, you know what? Here, I got it now. That group of Christians, they're the smart ones that know it, 
and they've decided that those guys over there don't know the truth, and that so they've decided to separate themselves. Man, I'm telling you what, but I want to follow God because of that right there. Our love for one another. Amen. Then he goes on <clears throat> in Luke 10, 1. He sends out 70 more. It's funny because there's another translation that says 72. So it's either 35 or 36 teams that he sends out. Sends out 35 or 36 teams, and he sent them two by two uh, before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. That's a fancy way of saying where he planned to go, right? So Jesus, you can pull that down. He gives power to the 12, and then some random guy says, okay, I've heard what Jesus said to these 12. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go walk in the love and the power of God and represent. See, we make it about the miracle, but it's really not about that. It's about this man, whoever he is, unnamed, chose to take that and go represent Jesus to the world. And for him, representing Jesus to the world was casting out devils. Pretty powerful, right? Who's that guy? I want that to be you. I want to be that guy. You know what I mean? We're not going to be the King David. Probably not going to be the next Moses. You know, you're probably not going to be the next Paul. But you can be that guy. Amen? Say that guy. I'm going to write a book. That guy. <laughs> Who is this guy? <clears throat> this is the mindset, right? It's like, okay, I, I just want to go and represent him. I just want people to know how good he is, right? My mind starts, you know, when I don't follow an outline, I could, I could preach like 19 different rabbit trails. But I'm thinking this, I'll just tell you what I'm thinking. People are so selfish sometimes. We come into a church setting and we carry the baggage from our past, the hurts, the pain, and we start sniffing out that these people are this, and we, you know, because we're so, we're so defensive and guarded, we come into different churches, and we start putting up the boundaries and testing, and it's like, all right, let's, let's you know what I mean? It's like, it's all these feelers are out, and, and it's like, you know what? Could you just stop? I mean, I realize there are churches that will, chew, that will use you and chew you up and spit you out. I get that. Don't go to those churches, you know. Don't, just stop that, but in general... The body of Christ is pretty welcoming and open. You know, this is the attitude that I want to have. So here's the mentality that I want us to walk out of here with today. This is, this is like, if there were a point to today, this is the point. Go back to that um, 10 verse 1. <clears throat> because I think Jesus still has this intention on his heart and on his mind to send people out into the cities that he wants to go visit. You know what I mean? Like, if you were to try to dissect it, of course, his spirit is running to and fro the earth. His spirit is everywhere trying to bring everybody to this salvation that he's offered through Christ. Sometimes he needs people to go and hear the. I didn't hear the gospel until I was uh, 19. Never heard it. I mean, the gospel. Sometimes people come into this church and they're like, I've never heard the gospel. 
I have people in my family that read my book about my crazy encounter with the devil, and they read it, and they said, I, I didn't know what the cross was about until I, I saw this explanation of why Jesus came here. We think that people know about Jesus, but there are a lot of people down the street and in these stores and wherever you go out in your daily life, they've never heard the gospel. They've never heard God loves you. He doesn't want to be separated from you, so he came here to redeem you and bring you back to himself. Because he loves you, he removed everything against you in Christ. Do you want that? Pretty simple. I was working, delivering pizzas uh, when we lived in Huntsville at night, and I remember that it's weird. There were a bunch of preachers delivering pizzas. I was in preacher school, I guess you could call it. I don't know, but, but I remember there was this one night, and <clears throat> there were, it was, it was just the weirdest thing. There was like a line of three or four of them that were going on, because, you know, this one guy, now there, there's either, there's two different, well, Justin's not here. Justin, Justin might be in between. This is a gross generalization, but just, you know, pretend like it's true. <laughs> in the pizza world, you got the, the potheads that are eating all the leftover pizza, and then you got the people that are, you know, just trying to make extra money. I don't know. Just making that up. This guy was one of the potheads, right? This guy was one of the ones that the preachers were on a mission to preach to because they knew that he's getting high and coming in and he's bragging about his partying and all that stuff. So all the preachers are like, that's, that's, let's go to him. And I'm telling you, I would listen to the way that they would talk to this guy. And it's no wonder he didn't want to listen to them. He had an attitude. He had an attitude. He just didn't. And I pulled, I remember I pulled him aside this one night. I said, look, man, all that stuff those guys are telling you, what do you, what do you think about that? I, said, I think it's a bunch of garbage. I said, me too. But what do you think about a God like this. And I just basically gave him the gospel. He goes, yeah, I could believe that. I said, are you willing to believe that right now? He goes, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so that just opened up a conversation, you know. And when I first got saved, before I knew anything about anything, all I knew is I wasn't going to hell anymore. I punched up this, made this little thing and printed it up a tract and, you know, hit the downtown Atlanta streets and probably led 200 people to the Lord maybe in the first year. Just because I'm, I'm like, you, you, don't, you have to know what Jesus did. Because when I found out, I realized I'd gone my entire life without hearing what he did for me. And what he did for me, everybody should know, right? You go to a restaurant that you love, don't you want to tell her, man, you got to go try those calzones over there, I'm telling you. All the Italian restaurants are... Are you following me? You know, so it is about you having a clear path of expressing your calling. It is about a way of you getting fulfillment out of it, walking in the reason that God would call you to follow him. But it's so much simpler than we've made it out to be. It's not a complicated thing, but you got to be willing to get over yourself and open your mouth and just love on people. See, this is one of the side effects that I pray happens as a result of the kind of teaching that we do here. We are constantly going to wash your mind from your past. Wash away that dead man identity. Wash away those things that you've let still evoke emotion within you because of what happened to you 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago. 
We are going to constantly minister to your heart to get you to a place of wholeness where you realize there is nothing wrong with me in the eyes of God. Now, I might still be acting a fool over here in this part of my life, but as far as between me and God, everything's perfect. It can't get any better. God looks at me, and he sees just the same kind of being that he sees in Jesus. Now, you're not the Messiah, but you're a child, as close to the Father as Jesus is. You live in that identity, it just it, the stuff, it's like the stuff that we go through to try to get to where you already are. And if you can own your wholeness in Christ, then this walking in love stuff, it just becomes so much easier. But it's challenging, you know? So Jesus goes through this process with his disciples. He's talking to them about what's going to happen, and he tells some of them, look, you guys, because, of, because you've walked with me and where I need you to go, it's going to be really hard. You, you, some of you are going to die. I mean, that might happen. God might call you to a place that's incredibly difficult and you might lose your life. Not so that you'll suffer and persevere and gain an ounce of holiness out of that, but because you are holy and he suffered for you to give you his righteousness, you're qualified to represent him. He'll send you into those areas. Sometimes we don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, sometimes we don't want to be inconvenienced. What are they going to think about me? What if it's not accurate? Well, you know, what do you think Jesus thought when he was dragging that cross up that hill? Inconvenient, you know, to say the least. Wish this cross were slightly lighter. It would be. That nail is making me a little uncomfortable right now. You know what I mean? Man, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt. I'm really not trying to guilt. I'm just trying to get us to a place that's like, you know, people are dying. People are dying. Now, we trust that God somehow is going to work all that out. God is not unjust and unfair. But you might make a difference in someone's life way earlier than their deathbed or whatever it is when they face God and finally admit the truth, right? Hell is real. People are going there. I've got this article that's half written, and I'm writing it about, about hell. It's a real place. There, there's like four predominant thoughts. One, that it's not real, that it was just a burning trash heap outside the city gates of Jerusalem. That's a bunch of baloney. Number two, that hell is just temporary. It's basically a purgatory. Like you go there for a little while and all the bad stuff's burned off, then everybody gets to go to heaven. That's not accurate. And then there's two more that are both within Christian orthodoxy. We tend toward one, but in the Greek mindset, they tend toward another. And one is that, uh, so I'm all over. Y'all, are y'all with me? This is what happens when I don't make an outline. But I feel like it's important because you need to know people are going into this place. Hades or Sheol or Gehenna, all those are really kind of the same thing as the, the abode of the wicked. That's where people go if they're not a, on this side of the cross. If they're not a believer in Christ, they go into this Hades, what we traditionally call 
actually we traditionally call hell the lake of fire. So there's this abode of the wicked. People are cut off awaiting judgment. Or if you're a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So there is a time coming, the final judgment at the resurrection. Everybody goes and stands before the throne. And at that time, they're separated. We're separated into believer, unbeliever. That's, that's the dividing rod. Have you said yes to Jesus or not? Not your works, good or bad, not your words. What gets you in is that you said yes to Jesus, amen? But that don't mean you can live like a you know, crazy person now until you get there. But the point is, there's a separation. And he will take, God will take death and hell and the grave and all of that and cast it into the lake of fire. Now, the two, the two schools of thought that I was talking about, one is what's kind of classically known as annihilationism, where everything that exists that's in Hades that did not receive Christ and has not been made righteous goes into this lake of fire and ceases to exist, or that in that place it's eternal conscious torment. Both of those are within orthodoxy. Both of those are within proper scriptural interpretation and you know, it's like you read, you, you read through Scripture and there's a case to be made for either one of those. Either way, you don't want to go there. And you don't want people to go there. Amen? And we can make a difference. But what is it that's, that we're deciding that our life is about? See, if we're still playing around with sin, we're still struggling with childhood lusts, or we're still deceitful, or we're still... You know, this is why it's important to let God transform you and mature you, because He needs confident sons and daughters, just like we pray, you're saying, to represent Him on this planet, because people are dying. People are heartbroken. They don't know that God loves them. And that is the very thing that brings people to a place of wholeness is knowing and feeling and understanding and being transformed by his love for us. It's like you have the pill that resolves all disease, and that is the gospel that you can take to people and give to them. Now, you might shape that into some formal thing, where it's this ministry that you've built and your entire life goes toward that and it's an income. Or it might be you're a school teacher or you're a radio employee, however you'd say that. But, but it's like in your life, are you, are you open to that? You know, what have you given yourself over to? Are we still holding on to this identity from our dead man or are we willing to give ourselves over to this? You know, here's, here's really the final thought that I want to, make about this in Matthew 10, 39, he gets down to this part where he's describing to them, he's told them that, shown them who he is, given the 12 the power, rebukes John for telling them to stop, then he sends out more. I mean, John must, pull that down for just a second. I think about this, right? It's like John comes and says, hey, he's not one of the 12, and Jesus says, don't tell him to stop. No, by the way, I got 70 more over here I'm about to send out. All right, put that back up, 1039. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. 
I mean, what does that mean to you? You know, I can just, sometimes I'm, sometimes I can hear like thoughts and I'm hearing about 19 different tracks of thought right now. Don't worry, I'm not possessed. Don't start. (laughs) But there's all these different responses to what it looks like to lose your life. That we think it's like, sometimes people will think, here's one thought. Well, it's going to be really hard. My life is going to be boring, and I'm not going to get to do anything fun. (laughs) We'll put that that in the category. (laughs) You know, I've got to be perfect. I've got to constantly hear. And, and, I, and I, I, can't, I can't miss, I can't ever miss, I can't ever mess up. That's losing my life. Is now I'm perfect. And what's well, a wrong understanding of perfection? Let's put that in the category, right? Wrong. And, and there's all these weird things that we think losing life is. And, and I can't really tell you for you what it means for you to lose your life because we've led vastly different kinds of lives. But for you... What does it mean for you to let go of all of that stuff that's attached to this world? And it might be literal stuff. It might be sin habits. It might be stuff, trauma, that's still defining who you are. It might be some unrealistic image of what you think Christianity is supposed to be. Whatever it is, you know. What, What is it that defines you other than, I'm a child of God? hidden with Christ in God. God loves me. Anything that defines you aside from that, you got to let it go. And then you actually end up finding your life. There's so much fulfillment and reward and meaning. And, it, and sometimes it's harder. You know, I've been talking to Chris the past couple of weeks and Chris over there unloading trucks and working. It's like, welcome to the ministry, brother. It's the hardest job you'll ever have in your life. It's the most entrepreneurial path ever. You know, I mean, you work harder at stuff that nobody ever sees. That, and you're like, I don't even care. You know what I mean? Like, you just, it just, you just, it doesn't even, you never think, well, somebody else should have to do this. If you think that, you shouldn't be there. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm kind of, I'm kind of just trying to bear my heart on this. But let's go back to 10.1, and we'll just kind of close on this idea, because I want you to walk out of here with this mindset, all right? 10.1, after these, can we flip over to the NIV just so it reads a little better, please? And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just meditate on this for just a moment, because I want you to see that God has people out there ready for you. You know, I remember my pastor, Jim Richards, was telling a story one time, and he said that God had given him this big, vast thing that he wanted him to do, and, and he started feeling kind of important. He's like, God, why'd you, why me? Why'd you pick me for this task? And he felt like God said to him, well, you weren't my first choice. <laughs> I love that. For many reasons, Right? Now, he could hear God that way, you know what I mean? Like, you might hear God and you get offended, but, but for him, you know what I'm saying? All right, here's the picture. 
After this, this meaning he sent the 12, he told John, look, this is bigger than you think. After this, the Lord appointed 72, see this one says 72, 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him for every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus was very strategic. I mean, think of 35 teams or 36 teams he's sending to all these different cities because he's about to go into these cities. These two by two would go into these cities and they would start declaring the gospel, you know, whatever they would do, however they would say it, and then he'd show up in the city and do his thing. It was very planned, very strategic, very specific what, what he was doing, right? I want you to see yourself as one of these teams. You leave this church today, and for the rest of your life, you're walking out whatever door you're walking out in the morning, being sent into a city because Jesus will soon be there and encounter these people that you're going to encounter today. What is it that you have done to prepare the way for those people to hear the heart of Christ once he shows up? When he shows up, will they say, hey, that guy, you know, because you might be the seed planter. You might be the 10-year-old girl that prays, and then five years from now, this person says, oh, man, you know, it's like it clicks. You might be the one, you know, that just goes and tells just the name of Jesus. Sometimes just hearing the name. I've heard testimonies where it's like, People that live in, that, that are in these really dark places, they live these lifestyles where they're, you know, it's nightlife and nobody ever, ever talks about Jesus except for in a profane way. But somebody says something in just such a low-key way that it's like just some kind of light. Every day when you leave your doors, let the past go and realize I am representing Christ on this planet. Jesus will soon be here to talk to these people. What is it that I can do to set the stage for this person's heart to be ready when he comes knocking on the door? <clears throat> Amen? Do you feel that? See, because that way it's not about you. It's not about you and your gift and you getting exalted because of something that you did for that person. It's like, I just want you to, I just want you to be soft to Jesus. You know, because I personally think he is all over the place seeking to introduce himself to everybody. And it might just, you might just be the one that gets to help them open that door and turn their heart just slightly toward him. But, but I see it. I see we go into, we go shopping. And all we think about is our pain, our debt, our lack. I mean, this is why it's important to live godly so that your life isn't burdened down with all the junk that distracts you from representing him. This is why you have to manage your money properly so that you're not consumed with debt and being burdened thinking that you barely have two nickels to scrub together. Because it's such an overcharging of your heart that you don't, you're, 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 you're consumed. Are you, feel, are you with me? Eat well. Exercise. Treat yourself well. This is a temple. This is a vessel. Prepare yourself to be used by God because he may send you into somewhere that he's got somebody to save because of what you've given them. That In five years, they're the next Billy Graham. You know, I don't know. But think about that. 
What do you think about when you walk out the door in the morning? How much money you got to make that day? What your wife said last night? How much you hate your boss? Or do you think, I'm in this world for just a little while, and people need to hear about Jesus? I'm not going to be the strange Christian that, you know, I'm not saying go buy your bullhorn and make your signs. If God says do that, then do that. Just make sure it's got the gospel on it. (laughs) Point taken. Are you with me? Are you feeling me? Jesus is sending you out. If you don't know in what it is specifically, then help this place. I'm telling you. We don't dig and look and see what the percentages of giving are, but probably 10, 15% give a fixed percentage of their income. It should be 100%. I don't have enough to give. Well, then you're thinking about money the wrong way. I don't talk about money a lot. When's the last time you heard me talk about some type of giving message? We don't teach the principle of tithing as a law. In other words, you have to give 10% because it belongs to God and you're robbing him if you don't. You're free from the curse. You don't give, God loves you. Giving more than any, well, there's two major benefits. It funds the work of the ministry and it teaches your heart to trust God because it makes absolutely no sense at all to give away a portion of your income on a regular basis and expect that to produce more income for you. That's not how the world works. Huh? Just the opposite, right? But I give it away, I don't have it anymore. If you think that you're going to give your money away and you don't have it anymore, you're carnal and you're thinking about what money is. Do I want you to write big checks? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I'll just tell you straight up. I'm not scared. I believe in what we're doing. We're not going to misuse it. It's funny that when Adam first came on, we were so careful. It's like, okay, let's make sure that this is this. And, and, and then eventually we we're like, you know what? <laughs> we're going to do the right thing. Let's just do this, you know? There's a report coming, an annual report coming soon that everybody gets to see what we've done. I mean, and I didn't plan on making this about giving, but I'm telling you, it's a big part of it. This body... This, we have so much creativity and so much potential in this body to work together to communicate the message. It takes money to do that. I would challenge you, if you don't give a regular, consistent percentage of your income, start somehow. Every week, either give, just define a number, 5, 10, 20. If every person in here gave $20 a week, do you know, that would like, that would create so much to work with that you wouldn't believe how much we could get the gospel out. I'm not mad at you if you don't give. God's not mad at you if you don't give. God is not withholding from you if you don't give. But it is the most basic and fundamental way to teach your heart to trust God. I don't trust God. Well, are you giving? No. And it's not that you, like, trick God somehow. People say, well, you can't outgive God. That's just made up. 
That's right. You're, you are expanding your tents. Go back and listen to what I taught last week. Um, but this is the mindset. You leave your door. You go out to live your life rather than all of these things that you're trying to juggle all these life balls that you're trying to keep in the air. It's like, okay, let me rise above that. I can represent God today. I get to go out and prepare the way for King Jesus to come in and have an encounter with this person. Let's do that. Amen? I will send out an email that's very specific about planning because I know we have some ideas. We want to do these things, and it's like, how do I get started? You know, come talk. Set up a meeting. Come talk. I'd love to, I'd love to hear ideas. I lo- I'd love to have like an, like an entrepreneurial kind of group where we sit around and we talk about ideas and we share with one another, you know, almost like a small group, life group, monthly thing or something like that. I'd love to do something like that. Um, we've tried it at different times, and, and, you know, for seasons we'll do it. But we just want to represent him. Let's get over ourselves and represent him. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your life. Thank you that you trust us with your presence. Thank you that, that you've created it, you've designed it in such a way where we carry the same authority that Jesus did, and we don't take that lightly anymore, God. We want to go out and bring people into an encounter with your love, with your peace, with your saving grace, so that the body of Christ begins to actually be known for what it should be known for, and that is our love for one another and our love toward the world. It's the only strategy you gave us. We're going to walk in that. I make the decision to follow you and use my faculties and resources to represent you, to bring people to an encounter with you. And if you're in here today, you had not said yes to Jesus or you're watching online.